Hey, this is David Perkins, pastor of Radiant Church. Thanks so much for checking out our podcast. I hope and I pray that the content helps you grow as a follower of Jesus. We'd love to see you at one of our services on Sundays or maybe at our Bold Conference this summer. Remember this, those who look to Him are radiant. All right. Y'all ready for this? Uh, We're in the middle of this Red Letters series, which is our summer series, uh, and we're talking about the words of Jesus, and so we've been going through different parables that Jesus taught. Uh, Today, we're going to focus in a little bit on the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, we have, for the first time, we're trying a new thing. We're having some of the young communicators in our church stand up and preach, and so let's give them a hand real quick. Yeah, and so as you know, uh, God's given uh, this house lots of young leaders, and I wanted to just have uh, an opportunity for them to get to share, but also for you to know them and hear their heart. And so it's just really one of the fun things that God's done uh, in our church is we want we want every age group, every generation represented. And so um, this is going to be a fun opportunity for you to hear. So all of them are going to speak out of the Sermon on the Mount. And here's what I want to encourage you to do, all right? So this is, this is all of their first time to preach at Radiant. Um, so, so some of them are a little, except Josh, right? Except Josh, all right? And so he's, he's going he's gonna to bat up, clean up, and if anybody, like, you know, speaks some heresy, he's going to correct it. That's your challenge right there, right there. You got to correct it. <laughs> you need 10 minutes. Uh, and, so, um, and so I want to encourage you just to engage with them, um, just, if you, can, if you can just give a little shout out, a little amen, like even if it's just barely good, just be like, oh, that's good. You know what I mean? Just, you know, if it's, if it's funny, just exaggerate your laugh just a little bit, like, ha, 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 you know, just, just give them a little umph if you can, and we want to shout them down. So I'm really excited about each one. Let me tell you who they are, and then I'm going to let them come up here and talk. All right, first, this is Rachel Dorinsky, and... Um, <laughs> And uh, not only is she Nathan's bride, but she also spearheads a lot of what we do with Next Steps. And so uh, she's an amazing leader. I'm really excited uh, for her to speak. You're going to love her. This is young Dylan Rogers. And uh, Dylan and his wife, Allie, spearhead uh, student ministries here at Radiant. And I'm really excited about you hearing from him. And then this is Gabby Barker. And... uh, Her and her husband, uh, Paul, Spearhead Creative uh, here at Radiant. And so uh, I'm excited about you hearing from Gabby. And then most of you know Joshua Hubbard. Uh, Josh Hubbard spearheads Radiant Intensive. And so he's going to speak at the end here, all right? And so uh, first up is, if, if you'll give a, a, a hand here, let's, let's go with Rachel Dorinsky. Here we go. Such an honor. So honored to be up here. Um, I'm just going to jump right into it. So I love the Sermon on the Mount um, because the Sermon on the Mount embedded all throughout it is these keys to helping us discover our purpose. And I always want to know what the plan is. Do I have anybody here who loves the plan? Okay. So I'm not alone. So the idea is that we all have a purpose, that you and I were created on purpose for a purpose with a purpose. And every act of obedience as we follow Jesus reveals more and more of what our purpose really 
is. It's not supposed to be a mystery. He lights our way in everything that we do. And so um, discovering and walking out our purpose is not necessarily a conversation, a lofty idea, an attempt from a former season, but is an action. It's a verb. It's something that he does in and through us, and we walk it out in ritual of obedience of every single day of our lives. And we find it, obviously, by following him. We find it by following him. And contrary to American culture, that says finding your life's calling and walking out your purpose is only for a younger season only event. That it, this exact topic I'm talking about has an age limit. The idea is that that's not true because obedience has no age limit. And Elizabeth was in her 80s. Moses was in his 80s. Abraham was in his hundreds when he stepped into the fullness of what God called him to do on this earth. So you and I, when I'm maybe not in my 20s, but pretending to be right now, and you maybe 39 again, or maybe 50, maybe not, you and I have extreme purpose and potential in front of us, no matter what we feel on the inside. And so it's time for us to revive this ability that so many young people are so good at of asking ourselves, God, what is ahead of me? What am I purpose to do? What have you called me to be? What is the next challenge ahead of me? What does my future entail? And he is all along right there beside of us saying, I'm with you. Keep following me. There is more in you. There is more for you. There is more for you to do. I'm not done with you yet. I never said I was. You said that. I didn't say that. Keep running your race, right? Okay. So the idea also is that we use our purpose by doing it. Now, also, contrary to how I would like life to be, he does not give us our whole life's plan all at once, despite most of us probably asking that question of God, right? Has anyone ever asked, can I just, you just tell me how it's going to end? I want the end of the movie before. And so anyways, he always gives us a direction, always. He's faithful to give us a direction if you ask him, but he never gives us our final destination, every single time. You know why? Because he has created us as living, breathing, moving creatures to pass through time in order for him to transform, shape us, reveal in us new things that he's called us in us to come out to change our world. And so all along, he helps us realize in the Sermon on the Mount, big questions that we ask him. It's a lot of realizations in here if we dig deep. It's a realization in a world that has fear of missing out syndrome about everything that I'm not missing out on anything if I'm not called and I'm not purposed to be there or do that thing. It's the same realization in a world that please individuality yet somehow has this huge wide gate of conforming to the same social standards that no, 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 no. He says narrow is the gate that leads to true life. It's the same realization in the world that says pile on riches. Jesus says store for yourselves treasures in heaven. See, it doesn't, we, so see, we understand who it's for and that there's more, and that helps us sustain our purpose. It doesn't matter if I have an easy purpose, an explainable purpose. I have a full understanding of my entire life's purpose, that I know all the details. It doesn't matter if I'm even excited about the season that God has placed me in right now. All that matters is I am committed to dig deep and be transformed on the inside so that I can reveal Christ in me, the hope and the glory out to the world around me. And that's how he uses us. See, he invites us into more. 
Some of us try to limit ourselves. Are you trying to limit yourself in any area of your life right now? He always invites us into more. His table that he prepares for us is huge. There is always room for you. There is room for your gifts. There's room for your callings. There's, There's room for who you are and your personality. You are not too much. You're not too much for God. He has a place for you. And in Matthew 6, 10, he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And you notice he doesn't say my kingdom your kingdom or my will or your will. He says, you will pray to God that you say, God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I don't have his kingdom prepared. He does. I don't have his kingdom explained. He does. I don't have his kingdom fully planned out. Only he does. And guess what? It's still coming. And our purpose in life is still coming if we just take the first step that says, God, I will obey you. I will follow you. For the lamb that was slain will receive the reward of his suffering no matter what. I'm still in this with you. And a few months ago, I had the privilege of just being around some of our radiant intensive, our young adult interns. And if you just want to get passion for God, just go hang out with these people. They are oozing passion for God and asking hard questions and will spur you on in one coffee. Okay. And so I um, was talking to them and one of them asked me, what is the biggest sacrifice that you have made recently in order to follow, in order to follow your convictions of what God has called you to do in your life? And I answered the question and my answer was fine. It was fine, but it was kind of lame, to be honest with you, because the things that I thought of that really mattered were things that were a bit more remote, things that were a few years back. You know why? Because they caught me, they cost me something. And I didn't like my answer. And I thought back to my mid-20s when my parents died in about a calendar year. And it was a whirlwind of a year. And in the last look in both of their eyes when they said, I love you, and they lived good lives, was maybe I had a little bit more to give. And maybe I needed a little bit more time. And the brevity of human life, if you've ever walked that road with someone, that'll change you in an instant of realizing your mortality and your humanity and that we are but just a breath. And I want my life to count. And so I thought back to this moment. I said, no, 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 no. This is not what you want to do. That's a great story, Rachel, but you need a now story. You need something God activity in your life right now because he moves every single day. And I have come, had to come back to that point time and time again, when I get caught up in this lazy river mentality that the world has to offer of just floating along and come what may, and let's all wrap ourselves in inner tubes of self-preservation and not taking risk and comfort. And what if I get hurt again? And what if I risk again? And we say, no, 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 no. I am going to follow you no matter what, even if it costs me something. And so the same spark that was ignited in me when he asked that, and honestly, I was disappointed in myself, is the same type of spark that gets ignited a few weeks back where Pastor David said, joy is the motive, all is the cost, and Jesus is the reward. Did that hit anyone else? If you heard that, like a ton of bricks about knocked me out of my seat. It was awesome. But the same point, God says there is so much more. Why do we limit ourselves? There's so much more ahead of us. And so when he says that... um, when he says that you will recognize them by their fruit, that we inspect ourselves because we are purposed to bear fruit. When he says that your kingdom come, your will be done, that it is in us and through us and with us, that we are walking this out in the God journey and the adventure that he calls us to. When he says that not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but those who do his will, that we do and we latch on to all he's created us to be with tenacity and with zeal and we just go 
for it, baby, because we have such limited time. See, there is more ahead of all of us. There is more ahead of you. There is more in you. There is more for you to do. But more is not required of you. More is available to you. That his kingdom come, that his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So God, I pray for you, God that you would just move in our hearts, that you would ignite purpose and zeal and passion and authority, that you, you, the limitless God, would cast off all of the limits that we're putting on ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. Such a good word from Rachel. Really excited to be with you guys. I was joking with Pastor David yesterday. I said, you know, it's the, you can tell the church is in a really good place when the youth guy gets to preach on Sunday. And uh, <laughs> he looked me right back in the eyes and he said, you're right. You have eight minutes. <laughs> Don't go over. I said, yes, sir. I got it. I can do this. I can do this. Um, so we're just going to jump right into it. I'm actually going to preach out of Matthew chapter seven, if you have your Bibles. Um, and verse seven says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find, knock, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be open. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, would you give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, give him a snake? If then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give a good gift? to those who ask. Let's pray real quick. Father, thank you so much for today. We're expectant that you're going to move and give us revelation of your word, that we would grow in relationship with you. So come Holy Spirit and just give us everything that we need in this moment. In your name we pray. Everybody said amen. 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 So I grew up in an amazing family. They actually drove up um, this, this weekend to hear me. I told them it was only going to be eight minutes, but they were like, we're going to drive 10 hours for those eight minutes. So I appreciated that. That's right. And I grew up, I, I mean, just with a really good relationship with my mom and dad. Um, they, they took me to church. I grew up in church, a little Pentecostal church down in Alabama. It was just amazing times. There were times where I tried to sleep in and I, I tried to play possum. You know, when you fake sleep, just maybe mom won't remember it's Sunday and I can catch some extra Z's tonight. But um, I do remember uh, growing up and they quickly realized that I had this knack just to please people. Uh, I'm a three on the Enneagram. Any threes? Threes out there? Nobody, just me. It's cool. That's all right. So the threes are the achievement. Oh, here we go. There's one. Thank goodness. Thank you, Lord. I'm not alone. So threes are just, we're just notorious for, for being people pleasers, coming off like we're successful, coming off just giving the persona that we, we have it all together. And I remember growing up just wanting everybody to, to respect me, to love me. I wanted everyone to know that, that I had it together, that I was strong, that, that I could do anything. Uh, but what tends to happen is when you have that mindset as a three, if you're not careful, it'll carry over into your relationship with God. And that's exactly what happened with me is my relationship when it started out with God was very much a works-based relationship. Like if I can just perform, if I can just act good, if I can just do it all, get it all together, if I can just do what the law says, God will be pleased with me. And that quickly began to just put this big hole, this big burden inside of me because everything I was doing was works-based. Let me just put that in perspective. Everybody works, yeah? So if you work just to please your boss, what happens the day that he pulls you in and says, hey, you missed, the, you missed the point here. You missed it. You immediately feel failure and that you're no longer qualified for that job. Or maybe for me, when my wife says, hey, I need you to do the dishes, 
And my motive to do the dishes is just to please my wife. What happens on the next day when I don't mow the grass, which would probably never happen, because <laughs> I love mowing the grass. But if I forgot to do the dishes, or I forgot to mow the grass, and she got mad at me, or she was upset with me, I would immediately feel like a failure. And what will happen is if we have that mindset with God, anytime we fail or come short, we'll feel like there's a disconnect. We'll feel like God's no longer with us. We'll feel like there's no more left with God. But I want to encourage you that that's not God's way. God's word clearly says that if you ask him, he'll hear it and he'll give it to you. If you seek him, there he will be and you will find him. If you knock on the father's house, if you knock on his door, he will open it and you will be welcomed inside. And I couldn't help when I read that just to think about the relationship with my, my dad, my father. I remember when I was five years old, uh, the Super Nintendo had been out for maybe like four or five years. Um, but the thing was, is that Donkey Kong Country had just come out. I love Donkey Kong. Love Donkey Kong. And I remember telling my dad, I was like, dad, listen, no, you don't have any video games. No, you don't like video games. I need a Super Nintendo. Dad, I need Donkey Kong. I got, I got to play Donkey Kong. He's like, yeah, 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 I, I, I got you. I, we'll, we'll think about it. And you know when your parents say, well, they'll think about it, they're probably not going to think about it. <laughs> but see, a couple months passed and Christmas came. I'm sound asleep. And I wake up on Christmas morning and there my dad is hovering over me. Now that's just crazy. Because usually it's the kids hovering over the parents, right? Like, hey, wake up. It's time. It's four o'clock in the morning. Let's get it. It's time to open up presents. But this time my dad hovering over me, ushering me out of bed. And to my surprise, there's a Super Nintendo on my little box TV, Donkey Kong loaded up. And for a moment, I felt like my dad was more excited than I was. <laughs> He's like pulling me out of bed, like, come on, it's time, let's go. This is what you, here it is. And I couldn't believe it. Dad, how, why, how, how, why would you give me this? Why would you give me such a great gift? And his answer was, because you asked. All you have to do is ask. And as a five-year-old boy, all I could see was this amazing gift that my, God, my dad was willing to give me. And we could wrap it up right there and just say, you know what? God gives good gifts. He's a good father. He loves giving good gifts. But the point I want to make today is that my father didn't find satisfaction in the Super Nintendo or even the joy that I had from playing the game. See, my dad spent hours that Christmas morning playing video games with me, teaching me how to play Donkey Kong, teaching me what, it, what the goal was at the end of it, why you played the game, what, what were you trying to win? He was teaching me, laughing with me, talking to me. And what I realized is my father did not take delight in the gift that he gave, but he delighted in the relationship that it built. And the heart of your father in heaven, the heart of God is the exact same that he's gonna give you gifts. You're gonna ask and he's gonna give you gifts. He's gonna give you gifts to speak. He's gonna give you gifts to prophesy. He's gonna give you gifts to go and make a difference in the world, but it's not that that gives you the relationship. Your relationship with God is not what you can do or what you can bring to the table. Your relationship with God is dependent on you fully surrendering to him and just saying, all right, God, here I am. I'm asking you, I'm seeking you. I'm, I'm knocking on the door. I just wanna come in. God, would you let me in? And here's what I can promise you today, friends. If you ask, God will come and he'll hear you and he'll give you the gifts. When you seek him, you're gonna find him because he's a good father. He's a good God. He wants you to come after him. He wants you to find him. 
And when you knock on his door, he's gonna open it. And I wanna leave you this today. Don't get caught up in the gifts. Don't get caught up in the performance. Just take hold of the relationship. God wants relationship with you. Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you for today. We are expectant of the relationship that you are so hungry, that you so long for inside of us. God, I'm asking that you would come and just begin to reveal your love to us again. That the heart of the Father, the love of the Father would come and just completely saturate our souls. God, we want nothing more than to know you. Knowing you is far greater than knowing anything else. It's in your name we pray. Amen. That was an incredible word, Dylan. So good. So good. Well, I'm just going to jump right in because eight minutes is not a long time. You think it is and it's not. Um, and so I'm just going to jump in and go from Matthew 6, 19, Sermon on the Mount. And it's everyone's favorite subject. Jesus is telling you about your money. Um, and so he said, Matthew 6, 19 says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so we live in a world that says hustle and build and do whatever it takes to build up your treasure and your kingdom. We live in a world that has limited vision, that has vision for this earth and has is, has the ability to tell you that success and your worth is in the car you drive, the square footage of your house, the activities and schools your kids go to, the, the career you have, the position you should be hustling to get, the, the security of your retirement plan and savings account. And, and what happens though when your car breaks down and you can't afford the mortgage or you lose your job and there's no position or title up next, there's nothing in the future and you have no savings and retirement plan. What happens when all those things are gone? What are you left with? The kingdom you've spent your life building can be gone in an instant, eaten away by moth and rust, destroyed. And so I wanna to talk today about having countercultural vision, vision that sees beyond the success of this world and what the world's telling you to chase, and vision that, has the view, that views everything through the lens of eternity. Because how many know this is not our home? We're just passing through. Heaven is our home, and we're just here to make a, a small difference in the small amount of time that we have. And so um, Hebrews 11.26 11, says, Moses thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking ahead to his great reward. And I just love that because that's, Moses is such a great example of someone who had kingdom vision. He, he knew that he was just passing through and he didn't put his resource and his time into Egypt because he said, heaven is my home. And um, about three and a half years ago, my life and my vision looked a lot different than it does today. My vision was for this earth. My treasure was limited to here. And I began to get caught up in what the world told me made me worthy and successful. And I had the very successful career. I was in the prime of my career in Colorado. We had brand new cars. We took the vacations. We loved God. We were getting ready to welcome our first child. Our house had a white picket fence. We had the American dream. And then 
One day, I began to be dissatisfied and convicted with that. God began to speak to me, and he began to tell me that he did not call me or promise me to a life of comfort. And so over the course of time, I began to pray, God, let our life be a testimony of radical faith. And I don't know why I doubted God to answer, but he quickly answered. And <laughs> about four weeks later, David and Renata called us and asked us to move to Kansas to start Radiant Church. And I'll be honest, I was six months pregnant, so I laughed and then cried. And, and I don't know if it was because I was pregnant and hormonal or if it was because they said Kansas and I had never been. All I knew was what the Wizard of Oz taught me. And I was like, oh, Lord, help me. I can't farm. I can't, I've never been here. And, and so, but we did... We did leave that night agreeing to pray and to ask God what he wanted for our life. And, and um, so in our season of, of fasting and praying and taking time to seek God, I had this very real conversation with him. And it was, God, look, I know just like four weeks ago, I just prayed, send me. I want a life of radical faith. But I didn't mean there. I didn't mean in the prime of my career. I didn't mean like this when I'm six months pregnant. I, I know this is not what I meant. I meant for a later time. And, and God just gave me, he just answered me so gently and just reminded me of what he told me. And he said, remember I told you, Gabby, I did not call you to or promise you to a life of comfort. You are made for more than that. You're made for more than what this world is trying to tell you that you need and that makes you worthy. You're made for more than that. And so today I'm not telling you to sell your house and moved to, I don't know, South Dakota or something like that. I don't know. But I do want to encourage you with these three things that God spoke to me in that season. And, and the first one was, on the other side of obedience is abundance. It will cost you something, and a lot of times it will cost you everything. Pastor David a few weeks ago said, all is the cost. And all is the cost. It will cost you something. But on the other side of your obedience is an abundance that cannot be stolen in the night. It cannot be eaten away by moth. It is an abundance that will echo from generation to generation, from your children to your grandchildren, and then to their children. It will not be stolen in the night. So he said, on the other side of your abundance is obedience, Gabby. And he said, you might miss the money you waste and throw away and spend but you will never miss what you invest into eternity. And I know that to be true, because I'm standing here three and a half years later with a lot less on paper. The world would tell me I walked away from my success and, and I failed at it or I have less, but I have abundantly more because my investment since coming here is I decided I'm gonna put my all into something and I'm gonna see the reward from generation to generation to generation. My kids are gonna know parents that didn't just talk about living by faith, they lived it. And if that doesn't convict you, I don't know what will because I couldn't look at my daughter in the face and her say, well, you talk about this faith, but I don't see you living it. Where are you living it? And there's a generation that will rise up that will ask you the same. Where are you living it? Are you, are you saying you live by faith or are you living in radical faith? And the third thing he said to me was this. He said, costly obedience and complete dependence is what will allow his kingdom to come on this earth. And we sing it, we talk about it, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But it's just a nice song we sing. And, and God showed me in that season that if you want that to happen, then it's a yes in your heart and it's gonna cost you something. And it's gonna be your obedience and dependence that makes my 
heaven come to your earth. And, and there is nothing like that. And the reward that we have seen is things beyond this earth. And it's, it's countercultural, and, and everyone around you will say, you're crazy. But I want to challenge you today. Where, what is your value? Where's your vision? Are you, is your vision here on earth? Is it limited to your treasures here? Are, what are you building? Are you building your kingdom on earth? Are you building and looking ahead like Moses to your reward in heaven? Because that's where it's going to matter. And that's where it's going to echo from generation to generation. When you're long gone and you're in the ground, that's what's going to last. Is what you're building for eternity and not for this earth. So don't get caught up into what this world says you should be doing. But get caught up into what God has you doing and where he tells you to go and where he wants you to go. Even if it's South Dakota or Kansas or Idaho or I don't know where else. I'm from the East Coast. But so I just want to pray for you guys today and pray. Um, so God, I just pray that we would be a people that has vision beyond this earth, that we would be people that have countercultural vision, that we would have eyes um, to see into eternity and invest in what eternity um, has for us. Amen. Amen. That was awesome, Gabby. Just incredible. And all of you, so incredible. It's kind of hard to follow up, but honored to be up here. Thank you, Pastor David, for this opportunity. And uh, I, too, had no idea what Kansas was like. Googled it on the, uh, on the drive up. And so I was like, man, they have shopping. Wow. That's great. Uh, but no, I love it and, and really happy to be here. And this, I love this church and so honored to be speaking to you. Also love the Sermon on the Mount. As they all said, it's one of my favorite passages of scripture, actually, um, because it's like a front row seat into Jesus teaching the disciples the ways of the kingdom of God. And so at the beginning, actually, in Matthew 5, the very beginning, it says the disciples came to him and he began to teach them. And so you get to see him teaching the disciples and it's like a front row seat. And the best part is, is he, not only is he teaching them, but he's really speaking to us, and he's showing us the ways of God. And I just love that because I believe that in the ways of God, you see the heart of God. Like in the way somebody does something, the way they live their life, the way they view life, the what they talk about, you know, the Bible says that um, the mouth reveals what's in the heart. You speak, and your words come from what's within the heart. And so you see the heart of God here as, he, as Jesus is teaching them. And it's so countercultural. As Gabby said, it's so countercultural, but it's exactly what we need. And I believe it's the life that leads us into um, freedom. And so there's this phrase as I was reading through it that Jesus repeats over and over again in, in chapter five, specifically. He says this phrase over and over again, and it's that he says, you've heard it said. He says, you've heard it said, and then he says something that they have heard before, and he follows it up with, but I tell you. So he says, you've heard it said, but I tell you, he says in Matthew 5, 21, you have heard it said, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who's angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. He goes on to say, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And so he continues five more times in this chapter alone to say, you've heard it said, but I tell you. And my question was, what is he doing? Like, he's talking to the disciples here. What he's doing is he is raising the standard. He's taking it from the old covenant, the law, which exposed, it, Paul said, it, it was there to expose my sin, my brokenness. And he, he says, I'm taking you, you've heard it said that this is the law, this is the old covenant, this is the way we do things, but I'm actually telling you God's way is higher than that, even that. That was a piece of it, but I'm showing you the full picture now. 
And so he's taking it from the old covenant of the law, which was all outward. It was don't do this, don't do that. Do not murder, for that's a sin. And he's making it, he's taking it into the new covenant, which was about grace and about what he would do inside of us. And what he's doing is he's raising the standard from just what's on the outside to what's happening on the inside. And I began to question, why is he doing this? Like, you would think it would be good enough to just say, don't murder. And that's like, that's a great society right there. People not murdering each other, that's, that's pretty good. I'll take it. But the problem with that is, and this is where I love the heart of God, the problem with if he just leaves it at do not murder is that it never actually gets to the heart. And if it never gets to your heart, you never actually experience freedom. If you don't take care of the things that are within you, you never experience freedom. And the heart of God for you is freedom, and it's complete freedom. I love the Ten Commandments because the Ten Commandments, I heard somebody say one time, they should be called the Tender Commandments because so much of my life I heard them preached as if they were these harsh rules. But when you really see it for what it is, it's a father who loves people giving us a way to live that brings the most freedom to our life, our soul, and puts us on track. You know, a train is freest on its tracks. And so God is trying to give a way. Jesus is saying, you've heard it this way, and that way was good for the time, but I want to take it farther because he's showing the picture. Jesus said, I came to reveal the Father, and everything I do, everything I say is from the Father, and the Father's heart for you is an actual inward soul transformation, not just something happening on the outside, but an actual transformation happening on the inside, and so much of my life, I missed that. I thought it was just doing the right things, and doing the right things is great, but God's heart for you is complete freedom. God's heart for you is to, to experience that complete freedom, not just behavioral modification. Behavioral, behavioral modification benefits everybody else, but that inward transformation is what is going to bring you abundant life that Jesus talked about in John 14. He wants you to experience that life, and it's completely possible. He paid the price for your freedom already. It says, for freedom, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. It was for your freedom that he came to set you free because that's his heart, is for you to walk in that freedom. But the question for me is, why do so many people not walk in that freedom? Like, if it's God's heart for us, then he lays it out plain, and he's willing to walk through it with us, why do so many of us miss it? And I believe the answer really is because it takes faith. Like, your freedom is going to take faith. Jesus already paid the price for it. It is free. It's been purchased. But it's going to take faith for you to walk it out. It's going to take faith for you to forgive someone. Jesus goes on to talk about forgiveness in this passage. And again, it's so countercultural because it's counter flesh. It's counter what we want to do. When someone does something wrong, for, wrong to me, my reaction is naturally to do it back to them. But Jesus is saying, that may feel good for a moment, but it's not going to bring freedom for your lifetime. And so he's trying to give us the process and the ways, but it's going to take your faith. It takes faith for you to not live in bitterness with someone. It takes faith to not live in the prison of offense, to say, I'm actually going to give this to the Lord and let it go. It takes faith to stay married, to believe that God's way is the best way and that actually the grass is not green on the other side, but it's greener where you water it. And if you keep on pressing in, God's going to make that marriage beautiful and can redeem anything. It takes faith to be generous. It takes faith to give to God, to tithe. It takes faith, but God is saying, you were, this is the way I made it and it's for your benefit. I made it to where you were dependent on me, to where you didn't walk through life alone, self-sustaining. His goal for us is to have that transformation inside of us, but it takes, it takes faith. I remember talking to a friend um, 
just a few months ago who went through a really hard time. And he was talking about how uh, his, he was so tempted to just do what he knew was wrong. He was so tempted to react with his flesh, to react with emotion, to react with it. But he said this phrase, I'll never forget it. He said, I've done that before. And he said, for years, I lived in bitterness towards someone. And he said, I just realized God's way is the best way, that that bitterness only killed me. I'm just here to tell you, as Jesus breaks down these things that are against our flesh, that, that in our mind we're like, oh, is, it really, is that really how you're supposed to do it? And it's easy to say in the moment. It's easy for the disciples to hear, but it's hard when the guard rushes in to take Jesus for Peter to stand there and not cut his ear off. It goes against his flesh, but Jesus is saying, this is the most free way, but it's going to take your faith meeting me here. And so I just want to tell you, some of you, I, I heard somebody say the other day, they were like, I'm just waiting on God to do something. And I believe there are seasons of waiting on God, but so many times God has already paid the price and he's made the way and it's you walking in faith with him and with a community of people to see that promise and that freedom come to pass. And so I believe for so many of you, God's, God's plan for you is freedom, but your freedom's right on the other side of your faith. And as you step out in faith and you believe and you keep doing it when you don't feel it, even when you doubt it, doubt your doubts and put your faith in God, He's faithful to meet you there. So Father, I thank you for every person in this room, Lord, and I pray today they would find their freedom in you. You give them the faith and they would stand in it. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand together, shall we? Yeah, let's give it up for these guys. Come on. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, look at that. Come on now. So good. Let's just pray. Father, we love you today. God, we ask, Lord Jesus, that you would help us to apply these things. Would you take a moment and would you just ask the Holy Spirit, just one or two ideas that you can apply just as you leave here, what it looks like for you to walk in obedience. Jesus, we ask, Lord God, that you would help us to live the Sermon on the Mount. Would we apply these things? Maybe you're here today and um, I was just even moved as Gabby told her story. And maybe you've been pursuing your dream. She used the word culture's dream call it American dream. You, you call it lots of things, but it's, it's any dream other than the Jesus dream for your life. And maybe today you want to pivot and go Jesus way. Jesus referred to it as the narrow way. And today you want to step out of going your direction, your way, the life you can build and make the decision to follow Jesus. It's the best decision you could ever make. God so loved the world that he sent his only son, Jesus. And Jesus came for you. He died on the cross for you. He rose from the dead. And if you, if you will make a choice, say, Jesus, I say yes to you. You can be in right standing with God. You can walk an abundant life beginning today. So today, I just want to encourage you, wherever you're seated, standing, if you want to begin a new life in Christ this morning, we want to invite you to do that.
invite you to do what Gabby was talking about. Not, not my way, I'm gonna go the Jesus way. If that's you today and you wanna begin that life in Christ, I wanna encourage you, I wanna pray for you. Would you, just, would you just raise your hand wherever you're at? Let me pray for you wherever you are. Just repeat this prayer after me. Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I give you my life. I don't want to go my way. I choose to go yours. Save me. Heal me. Give me a fresh start. I give you my life. In Jesus' name.